just like to say good morning to you and express our appreciation for being here on this fifth Sunday of the month. And Dora and I are always grateful uh, to see each and every one of you. And today I want to talk about what I consider to be one of the greatest needs in the church today and what the Bible calls the greatest virtue of New Testament Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul said, And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The abiding things of life, the sustaining elements of New Testament Christianity, are stated by Paul in this one text of Scripture. And he said the greatest of these is love. There are many chapters in the Bible on the subject of love. 1 Corinthians 13 being one of them. Having often been called the love chapter of the Bible because it's there that Paul deals in a very specific way with the nature of true Christian love. Also Romans 12 is a very significant chapter on love because Paul deals with the love that we are to have toward one another as brethren. He said, be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, Romans 12.10. And so our love is to be brotherly. Our love is to be expressed with affection in a very kind way. But I believe that the context, of all contexts in Scripture, it really tells us what love is and what love does. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 10. I want to talk about three things that love is and four things that love does. First of all, love is the very essence of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. He that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth God, not God, for God is love. And so when you take all that God is and all that God has done and express it in one word, that one word is love. Love is the very essence of his being, the very essence of his character, and the very essence of his activity. And we're not like God unless we love. And we are not in God unless we love. And God is not in us unless we love. And we, are, and we do not know God unless we love. That's what John states. It matters not what we say. And it matters not what we claim. We may say that we know God, but we don't know God unless we love. We may claim that we have read the Scriptures, and in reading the Scriptures we've come to know the Lord, but we really don't know the Lord unless we love. And we're talking about the agape kind of love, the kind of love that expresses one's highest good. We want people to do good, and we want people to be good. We're not talking about a sugary, sentiment, sweet, oh, I love you. We're talking about action. We're talking about a steadfast, rugged commitment to one another in our love that we seek one another's highest good. And so it matters not what we say and claim. If we claim that we know God, 
then we must not only love God, but we must love one another. Love is Calvary. Love is not only the essence of God. Love is Calvary. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, in that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so love is Calvary. Love is Golgotha, that moment of moments when death was abolished and life and immortality was brought to light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The highest manifestation of God's love for sinful man is the cross of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have life everlasting. John 3.16 In this was manifested the love of God toward us in that he laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16 And greater love hath no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. If God so loved us we ought also to love one another. And how did he love us? He loved us in that he laid down his life for us. He loved us when we were yet sinners. Romans chapter 5, 8 through 10. He so loved us that he gave his life when we cared not and when we loved not, when we wanted not. If he loved us in that way, surely we are to love one another in the same manner. Number three, love is the evidence of the new birth. In 1 John 4, 7, everyone that loveth is born of God. This is how we know that we are the children of God. And that is when we have love for one another. In 1 John 4, 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, by this we know that we abide in him and God abides in us. That's not talking about spatial indwelling. That's talking about relationship. God abides in us. We abide in God. If I say I have you in my heart, I'm simply saying I have a very close relationship with you. And that's the kind of relationship that we are to have with God. A very close relationship. And our love for Him and our love for one another. That's the evidence of the new birth. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves His child as well. If we say we love God, we're going to love one another. We love all of his children. And so all of those who are truly and actually begotten of God love their brethren. Because here's a mark of sonship. There are other marks. But here's the mark of marks. Because unless we love one another, there's no other evidence in all the world strong enough to convince the world that we are who we claim to be 
And that is the begotten children of God. If we will just move out in love and learn to love, then the world will learn to love God and love also. If we will have within our hearts an irrevocable, unchangeable, undeniable love for one another, then the world will come to know that God loves them. And they'll come to know it not only by the preaching of the truth, they will come to know it by the living of the truth and the practice of the truth in your heart and mind. And so that's what love is. Love is God. Love is a cross. And love is the new birth. Now let's talk about what love does. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, John states that love enables us to walk in the light of God and not darkness. It enables us to walk in the light. 1 John 2, verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself to walk as he also walked. Be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. In 1 John 2, 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. And so the thing that will keep us from walking in darkness and keep us from stumbling is when we have love for one another. Love brings boldness in the day of judgment. Notice verse 17 of chapter 4. Herein is our love made perfect, mature, and complete, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, being a God of love, so are we in this world, being a people of love. We've already seen from 1 John 4, 7, God is love. And as God is being a God of love, then what kind of people are we to be as his children? We are to be a people of love. And if we have that mature love within our hearts, then and only then can we have boldness in the day of judgment. And that's a certain quality of love, isn't it? Because when we love as God loves then we not only love the lovable, we love the unlovable, and we love the unlovely. And that's a difficult thing to do. It's not difficult to love lovely people. As a matter of fact, it's difficult not to. For example, it's difficult not to love a child, particularly if the child belongs to you. But it is difficult to love the unlovable. It's difficult for me to love a mass of people who will hit the streets and cry out, my body, my body, and never mention God Almighty, and never mention our Creator, the only one who has the right to take a life. I struggle in that area. And I feel like that I'm in good company with James and John when Jesus called them the sons of thunder. In Mark 3 and verse 17. Because they had gone through this city. The city had rejected Jesus. 
And James and John said, let's just call down fire from heaven and consume them. Sons of thunder, I teeter-totter between love and thunder. It's not always easy to love unlovely people. And so it's difficult to love the unlovable. And yet that's what we've been called to as disciples. In Luke chapter 6, 32, Jesus said, If you love only those who love you, what do you more than others? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, what credit is that to, that to you? Where is the discipleship in that? If you love only those who love you, where is the discipleship? Even sinners do that, Jesus said. But then he said, love your enemies. Do good to them, and your reward will be great. And so when it comes to loving enemies and loving the unlovely, we need a power that will go beyond our own power to get that job done. And when it is done, when we love every man, woman, boy, and girl, without them measuring up to our expectation, then and only then can we have boldness in the day of judgment. That's something that love does. Love keeps us out of darkness. Love brings boldness in the day of judgment. And number three, love casts out fear. Notice verse 18 of 1 John 4. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, mature love, casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Again, mature love casts out fear, not reverence, all respect, but the trembling kind of fear that brings torment. Mature love removes the kind of fear that would cause us to be tormented. We no longer have to fear the creation when we love the Creator. And we no longer have to fear the judgment when we love the judge. Love casts out fear. And then in the third place, love fulfills God's commands. Actually, that's the fourth point. And that is love fulfills God's commands. Notice what he states in verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who says he loves God must love his brother also. When you love God, your love for your brother is automatic. If you're fish, you'll swim. If you're a bird, you'll fly. If you're man, you'll eat. If you're a human, you'll breathe. If you're a lover of God, you will love your brother also. It comes automatic. It's not always easy. But you see, I don't have to love the blacks. And I don't have to love the whites. All I have to do is love God and love what is right. And there's not anybody on the face of God's earth, regardless of race, color, or creed, that I will not love. Love God and what is right. 
And what about all of the mass shootings in our nation over the past decades? And what about all of the rape and the plunder and the burning and the atrocities? Well, I believe the Bible offers a twofold solution. Number one, crime control. And number two, love your neighbor. It's that simple. Those two principles, those two basic truths will solve the crime problem. Number one, crime control. Number two, love your neighbor. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, we learn that the main reason that God ordained civil government, civil power, and civil authority is to protect the innocent. Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which is, has been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Romans 13, 2. Those who rebel will bring judgment on themselves. The one in authority doesn't carry the sword or the gun in vain. For he is an avenger of wrath on those who do evil. What is the purpose of civil authority? To protect the innocent and punish the evil. Civil authority was instituted by God to punish the evildoer. That's crime control. And civil government isn't doing its job until it punishes crime to the fullest extent of the law. That's Bible. Civil government isn't doing its job if political and legal matters take precedence over moral matters. That's what the Bible teaches. Our leaders need to wake up. Number two, love your neighbor. In this very text, in Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything save to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. What law? The Ten Commandments. Look at the text. He goes on to quote in Romans 13, 9, For this thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not bear false witness. And if there be any other commandment, it is summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The commandments of God that we read about back in Exodus chapter 20. Paul is quoting the Ten Commandments and making those commandments binding on his readers. No, they were not nailed to the cross. God's moral law has never been nailed anywhere by anybody. The ceremonial law was nailed to the cross, but not God's moral law. And much of God's moral law 
is binding upon society at large. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's Romans 1.22. Paul said that about the pagan world of his day. And if you'll just read what is in that chapter, you'll be reading a description of America today. The word fool comes from the Greek word moreno. And it is the word from which we get the English word moron. That is what happens when a nation of people reject God. They become moronic, senselessly arrogant, and morally insane. And they start killing one. But teach a young man to fear God. And teach a young man to obey his parents and respect authority and love his neighbor as himself. And you will have solved the crime problem and a lot of other problems in our culture. And as one individual said, we keep putting the legal cart before the moral horse. God forgive us. Are we going to continue to allow culture to shape and mold our lives? Or are we going to allow Christ to mold our lives? The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. If you're here today and need to respond to this invitation... If you've not been baptized into Jesus for the remission of your sins, we're here to assist you. If you've done that straight away, if you've walked back out in that area called darkness, if you've allowed culture to enter your heart and shape and mold your lifestyle, we pray with you and for you if you want to get out of that. All together we stand and sing.